Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Oh, what? Oh, hey, man. What's going on? Um, uh, what's this? It's an obscure podcast from the planet Earth. Their, their content is not suitable for young ones, apparently, and um, their views don't align with their supreme rulers or my mum. What a damn nuisance! What is it called? Uh, let's see. It's, uh, they call themselves Two Dudes, One Double Feature, it seems. Um, will you destroy them, Your Majesty? Ah, later. I like to listen to my podcasts a while. Before I die! die! <laughs> uh, he's freaking gone. Welcome! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films. I mean, that's that's kind of it. Um, <laughs> I am Dude One, Richard. Dude Two, Joe, over here in New Jersey. Oh, I thought you were like somewhere complete. That just threw me off, man. Wow. Um, crap. <laughs> where, where did you think I was? I don't know, somewhere magical and fun. I mean, you're all. I mean, you're in your man cave, which is always magical and fun. But I thought like it was in. I thought it was like in like a pocket dimension, that was just like away from like reality. You could just like go into this bubble and in, in time and space, kind of like a TARDIS or something. My man cave is a pocket dimension. It's just that the pocket itself is located in New Jersey. Damn. I mean, you get the receipt, take that one back, because if you're going to have a pocket dimension, you're going to want to be able to go wherever you want. I suppose, uh, I suppose you are, um, correct, but moving aside <laughs> from New Jersey, how is, how's Richard doing? I just woke up a little bit ago, actually. This is, like, the first time I think we've done the show, and I'm, like, still waking up. Uh, and also, side note, um, if you hear, like, raining or storming or anything, it's, it's kind of storming really bad on my end. So, I actually just saw, like, massive light. Oh, wow. Oh, do you hear that? Oh, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I hope we pick that up, because wow. that'd be crazy. No, dude, it's it's good. I guess, I guess there's, like, a flash flood warning to, like, two or something. So, hopefully I don't drown while I'm doing this. Or let me finish the episode first, Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a shout-out on our program if you do that. So, but um, how is, uh, how is Dude 2 in his pocket dimension? Well, uh, Dude not so bad. I went back to work, and that's been working out pretty okay so far. Going I through it? 
a little bit just I yeah generally feel safe you know um and I it's it is nice to see uh familiar faces and new faces at work but you know everybody's pretty respectful of, of distance yeah. and uh and all that stuff so shout out to those people for respecting that but I I feel I feel okay and I feel a lot better than I thought I was going to you definitely need that I think and that's like I like for you that's like how it's kind of been at my work like there's obviously things that are that are like freaking me out or like bothering me at least at the very least my coworkers and bosses and everybody are we're all kind of on the same page and an understanding of each other so um and it is nice to see them so it's nice that you're having that experience you know this weekend's La- labor day weekend so we're rec- recording on labor day so happy labor day as far as uh anyway so a little bit of an update for the listeners on something we talked about a couple episodes ago Disney Plus being the new home for Mulan, which was which is a two hundred million dollar tentpole film from Disney that they were probably hoping would make a billion dollars at the box office, and it easily could have, as Joey and I talk about. And uh, obviously, with these trying times and movie theaters not being open, and the ones that are open, you know, maybe some people like myself and Joey just not feeling safe. And coming back right away, you know, and all these studios trying to kind of work around that avenue, especially at the beginning of uh, when, you know, just figure out some new ideas and new approaches so they can still make some kind of money while keeping people safe. And this was and this was a big move because this is probably like of, of all the movies that got released digitally or on VOD, this is probably the this is probably the biggest one, I would think. At least at the moment. Yeah, at the moment, I would say this is probably the most high-profile title to come out on a streaming service or digitally in the last couple of months. You know, as far as, like, the scale of the production, because this is a $200 million movie, as we said. And apparently, it is also the most expensive movie ever directed by a woman. Which we need to applaud. That is an interesting um, statistic. I'm just going to go over our initial, I guess our initial, my initial reaction to this. Fun at least. fact, we um, watched it. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, we shelled out the 30 bucks. Yeah, we shelled out the 30 bucks just for, just you know, mostly for you guys. But I figure, you know, sometimes like my girlfriend would ask me how something is. So I'm usually the one that takes the plunge into something. You're just a brave soul. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I tend to I tend to do that, but you know, <laughs> haha, brave for watching a movie at home. Hey, is, hey, listen, you know, to to quote a tweet that you sent me today, um, it's much braver to watch a movie at home that's being that you have to pay thirty dollars for than uh, thoroughly pushing for a movie to be released in theaters during a pandemic. Christopher Nolan. Oh, Chris. Uh. <laughs> Mulan. You know, $30 charge on Disney Plus. If you're a paying subscriber, this is just information for you guys. We're not sponsored by Disney Plus. But we could be. If you are a subscriber to Disney Plus, you pay 30 bucks, and you get to have Mulan on there as long as you have Disney Plus. But it's also set to be, quote-unquote, free to regular Disney Plus subscribers in December. So just keep that in mind. If you want to see it now... You got to pay thirty bucks and have a Disney Plus subscription. But if you want to see it later on and don't want to pay the thirty bucks, you got to uh, wait till 
December of this year to do that and just have a Disney Plus subscription. It's, at the very least, like I was saying, a lot of these studios, a lot of these places are just trying new things to, to really figure out the best approaches to do. Um, this one admittedly kind of seemed like if it, how, depending on how like well it does, like this one definitely seemed like one that could be a pretty solid idea, especially cause I feel like I knew, I know, I knew we were going to, would have, we were going to buy it for 30 bucks, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. This like, if it works that it could work pretty well, I think. Yeah. I feel like if this particular title is successful enough on that platform, that premium access, I do feel like it could change the industry as we know it, as far as how we get like big content like that. Because let's face it, one of I think one of my biggest takeaways from a lot of streaming services is that I feel like a lot of them, uh, most of the time, they don't feel like big events. Like sometimes they're like really cool and really interesting things, but like while we go to the movies, it's like the big, huge spectacle mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But but I think one thing that streaming has had a difficult time with i mean they, they've been getting better with it is putting up something that is really worthy of the big screen as far as like you know the big exciting uh spectacle and i think this is almost a push in that direction but it's also you have to have that 30 dollars surcharge you know 30 dollars fee or whatever because it is a 200 million dollar production you can't just like if it was like a 60 million dollar movie you'd be able to write that off and just you know say okay this is just like a streaming thing and they caught they tend to cost maybe around that or a little more than that anyway but like 200 million dollars you got to recoup that somehow especially if your investment initially was to really see this thing in theaters you know right but enough on the financial end which i personally find fascinating but you guys probably don't the movie let's talk about Mulan. yeah i i i'm like i'm like yeah you know it's fine <laughs> no i'm kidding I always like to hear you. I always like to hear you talk, though. I, I appreciate that's my that. that's my interest. Well, I've talked enough for a little bit. So, what what did you think of the 2020 remake of Disney's Mulan? It's okay. No, <laughs> 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 uh, it's it fine. Um, I will say because um, if, if you go to our social media pages, I decided to post our not just our reviews of the new. Um, Mulan that we put on Letterboxd, but also uh, our thoughts on the original Mulan, the the original animated film. So also just follow us on Letterboxd because you know we post we post of all the time, and we even post uh, what our double features will be like the week after, so like you can get like a kind of sneak peek, I guess. Um, no, it was okay. Mo- what what did I just say? I, I, it's okay. Uh, sorry, I just it's a weird like I thought of two words and then they meshed together moment (laughs) 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 oh no but i thought the movie was was okay it's definitely one of the better as far as like better made movies uh the action scenes are really cool colorful it's bright there's a lot of cool sets and stuff which is typical a lot of the live action remakes i definitely found it entertaining and when it tried new things and like explored new avenues then that's when I was like, okay, that's that's pretty cool. In that vein, it's not like cut and paste like Lion King. You know, it's not like the same thing, but with nicer, or I guess not even nicer, just like realistic animation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would, I would pretty much agree with that. What I was really surprised about with this one is 
really how different it is compared to the original film. Like the original film is a mu- is for one an animated musical and has a lot more comedy and you know it's presented differently. It's a 90s Disney movie. It's it's really good. And with this movie it is well obviously it's not just it's not like hardcore um I forgot what the the name of the subgenre is like wuxia wuxia I believe the subgenre is called it's like a like a martial I think it's like a martial arts sort of genre um that this is sort of like taking some inspiration from you know and it was when like you said when it was doing something new doing something different yeah. it was genuinely exciting I was like wow this might end up being not just like decent for one of the remakes but a pretty decent just movie on its own the 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 biggest problem this movie has is its script ultimately you know you could talk about the there's other cultural issues you can bring up which uh david chen brings that up in his mulan video definitely recommend checking that out but like as far as like script goes mulan doesn't really have that great of a character arc in this and a lot of the characters like I feel like outside of like Gong, I was a Gong Li. It, she's like one of the main villains. I think she was one of the more interesting components of the movie. Are you talking about um like the the witch lady, the witch lady. Yeah, is that Gong Li? I don't remember her name. I just know she's the witch lady. You know, she. I, I thought she was very good in it. And you know, I think there people are trying their best, but there's not much there to work with. Even though this movie is like longer than the original, so you think. There would be more development and all that, but rewatching the original two, it just it, it really just shows you how important musical numbers are mm-hmm. because they efficiently give you information, they efficiently move the story along, they really tell you your, what your characters are feeling. Some people might find that hackneyed or whatever, but it's much better to do it in song than just to speak it out loud. And I think that's kind of the the big issue with this. And I think this movie could have worked as a non musical. Honestly, I, I do think that there there were bones in this where this could have been this could have worked out really well. One thing I also really liked too, I know the, the lead actress for Mulan is controversial. You can look up the controversies if you want. I think she gives a very physical performance. Mm-hmm. Like you really do believe that she can like take out a bunch of guys. And you know when the movie was in that mode. I mean, I kept watching those scenes. It was a lot of fun to watch that stuff. Or, like, when Jason Scott Lee's riding his horse and his bandana <laughs> flies off and he has this, like, evil, like, smile on his face. I'm like, see, I, I love ridiculous things like that. And, it, and I mean, hey, it go, it comes full circle, too, because, like, he's he's OG Mowgli. He's the 90s Mowgli. Yeah. Which I was like, what? Uh, adult 90s live-action Disney remake Mowgli? is We've come full circle. Now we just need a uh, freaking... Um, uh oh, crap what's her name glenn close so we need glenn close to come back for something glenn close should make a cameo in the corella deville movie yes yes i mean um kind of a spoiler but you know og mulan shows up in uh this one yeah she does have a cameo we're not gonna say where that cameo is but she does show up which is cool i think what will drive people away are two things the price point for 30 bucks you know to drop on a movie and also, I think the screenplay is another one. But other than that, I know the screenplay is a big thing, but, like, I was entertained by this. I was, you know, I had, I had fun, honestly. And I'd, I'd watch it again. And I'm glad, I'm glad I did purchase it, but I also wish I could buy it on Blu-ray at some point. I hope I can, mm-hmm. just because I want to be able to see those some of those action scenes in 4K. 
not saying they're like, you know, they change your perception on how action scenes are filmed or anything like that, but it's just, I thought it was fun. It's just good old-fashioned, like, fun. And uh, it's funny, because it made me think of, I remember I messaged you right when I watched it, because uh, I, I watched it right when, I, right when it came out, because we were talking about in our very first episode how we don't really see a lot of stunts anymore, mm-hmm. and we even specifically mentioned in Mask of Zorro that really cool scene when there's, like, horse gymnastics, when they're, like, riding on horseback. Yes, and then the, yes. And then, um, spoiler alert again, but uh, it happens in Mulan, and so when uh, I saw that, I was like, oh my god, they listened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made those. knew we wanted this. They made those last minute changes uh, before the movie came out just to just to please us. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mulan. It's it's definitely fun. But no, it's it's definitely a fun movie. It's it's got issues as far as the script and just kind of yeah. But at least at least it's one of the entertaining ones, so it gets a pass. I think it was a genuine attempt. So I do feel it's a step in the right direction. They stumbled a little bit. But we had fun. But you know what else, man? I had a lot of fun watching our first movie. Our real movie. Oh, I know you did. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen this so many times uh, over the last month or so, this movie. And I was so happy that you were willing to put this in our double feature rotation. (laughs) No, I was down. I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, you, you indulged me with Paddington. Granted, you ended up, like, loving it, so I was like, oh, good. <laughs> but but at least you indulged me, which was nice. Today, uh, as our first film in our double feature, we're going to talk about the 1980 film Flash Gordon. Flash! Oh! I'm not finishing that. I'm not. First off, we don't have the rights. Second off, I'm not Freddie Mercury. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Flash Gordon, yes. This is a movie that always kind of, like, I always got it mixed up because I, I'm, a, I'm a big DC fan, big comic book DC fan, and uh, one of my favorite characters is The Flash, and so, like, whenever I saw, like, a poster or something for Flash Gordon, and it had, because, like, the logo is, it says Flash Gordon, and it has, like, that kind of orb in the middle with a lightning bolt, mm-hmm. and I was like, wait, is that related to The Flash? or is like this like an alternate flash like does he run fast but then like there was no indication and anytime i looked up like trailers or anything that it had anything to do with it so i was just like what is happening this is weird (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean i knew about him though uh later on because like he was like part of like the buck rogers like comic strips like sunday papers kind of thing and like coming to the some of that stuff and plus they they made a newer comic book not that long ago. I started to learn more, but for the longest time it was always like, does this have something to do with the Flash that I'm not seeing? Because I can't find it. But that was that was actually my very first like and only ever interaction with this movie. Yeah, so for, for me, I don't know when my first interaction with it was, but I always remember like the iconic poster with, with Max von Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless with his bald head shooting with his ring or whatever. <laughs> and always seeing, I guess, seeing that at, like, Suncoast. I mean, and of course there's always, like, as you were singing, the, the Queen song, I you know, but I I guess when I was younger, I never really connected the two of them together until much uh, much later on. Plus, the song's just great on its own. 
the song's great on its own too. Yeah. But it's one of those. It was one of those things too where I my then my next exposure that I can really think about was the movie Ted. Yeah. Oh uh, that. Oh wow. <laughs> That's that's one of the that's that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a fun scene, and in fact, you know, because I was it Sam Jones who plays Flash Gordon makes cam that cameo in Ted, and it, it became such a thing that they even made like a Blu-ray, I think Blu-ray or DVD box set where it's like, like Ted versus Flash Gordon or Ted and Flash Gordon or something like that. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing that and going, wait, did they just like? remake a version of flash gordon but superimpose ted in it because if they did that would be amazing and i think that if i'm not mistaken i think it predated the um those deadpool covers where it was deadpool and a bunch of like 20th century fox things so yeah i always thought it was it was kind of funny and it was always a movie that was always like in my like cart when i was like shopping online i was like i want to get this at, at some point but i have a feeling that some like cult distributor or whoever is going to put this out on Blu-ray someday. And well, this year is the 40th anniversary of Flash Gordon. So over in the UK and I think other European area uh, territories, they have a huge like four or five disc Flash Gordon box set comes with like the 4K Blu-ray, the CD, you know, the soundtrack and all that huge set in the States that same, like, cause they, it's a, they did a newly restored version approved by the director, Mike Hodges, it was put out through Arrow Video. Um, I do remember when you first got it, because like obviously we, you know, we both. I feel like we're both getting a little bit more. Uh, the action scenes are really cool as far as our um, our movie watching these days, because it's like there's nothing really else to watch, so it's like might as well just try out other things. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I've been doing the same thing, just like finding movies that I've been wanting to watch for a long time, or movies that have just been in my cart just going you know what screw it here come to my house i want to see you so when i saw you got that i thought okay that's interesting i didn't like like it wasn't like a like a good or bad thing it was more just like there's flash gordon again (laughs) i was like okay (laughs) And, and the funny thing is whenever i know you bought something at some point i know i'm probably gonna end up watching it because it's like yeah yeah, I'll watch it at some point. I'm cool with that. But yeah, I, I watched this, like, is it my first time about a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, and I watched it on my 4K TV, and it was really one of those things where it blew me away. And that's not to say that it's like, you know, deserves to be on Sight and Sound's 100 Greatest Movies of All Time or anything like that, but it was it was a visual feast the music, the product, it, oh, <laughs> man, there, there's so much to talk about. Oh my God. I just remember, I just remember seeing like your letterbox review and then, um, hearing you talk about it. And I was like, I think he fell in love again. <laughs> like, like this is like, like this movie touched his soul. Like it went right past his heart and then right into his soul. It just, it got me and it, and it didn't let go. I was like, I love just about <laughs> everything in this movie. It's nothing that's like, you know, Oh my god! It, it, it's just like, just everything was. Oh my gosh! I think, well, I think we got to say up front too. Flash Gordon, you know, like we were saying earlier, was a comic strip early on. Then it became more famously a movie serial, 
where, you know, you would go to the, your theater and every like week or so or whatever, there'd be a new episode. And that's a big chunk of the inspiration that George Lucas got out of, got for Star Wars, actually. In fact, Lucas wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie at one point, but he couldn't secure the rights to it, so he made Star Wars. The rest is history. Dino De Laurentiis was able to get those rights, and, you know, he was a mega producer back in the day. Maybe you might know the Jeff Bridges King Kong, he was responsible for that. But Dino De Laurentiis um, produced this movie, and... Dude, this thing is wild. It's I don't know. Like, it's 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 <laughs> it's a special kind of wild. Like the like I just remember even before I fully watched it, just the clips and stuff that you sent me, I was like, what is happening in this movie? I'm kind of entranced right now with all like this craziness. And even just like like the first thing you sent me was a clip of Brian Blessed's character, was it Voltan or Voltan or something? Yeah, Prince Voltan. Prince Voltan, um, with his like weird like sword club thing, like bonking a guy on the head, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a Joey movie through and through." <laughs> <laughs> this is this is Joey written all over it. Um, and then like the you like the clip of Flash Gordon fighting uh Ming's minions, I guess, uh, like football yeah. style. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, as if it was like a football game. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> Oh man! Um, especially just like there's that bit when he's just when he even starts going forty two, <laughs> and then you got and then you got um uh the 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 love interest Dale in the side like a cheerleader going go Flash, go Flash. <laughs> I'm like this is a, this is the best football game I've ever seen. <laughs> this is okay so. Talking, we we talk, we've talked before about like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World and Tintin. They 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 bring the the pages of those those stories to life or whatever you know. With this movie, they really they it really does look like a comic book. Like this is just something like I, I right out of the pages of something vibrant colors uh, with the, all the the beautiful reds and yellows in this uh in this production the costuming you know it's it's not done as like you know th there's always like an attempt like we were talking about like, with the x-men or some of these other properties where they try to make it realistic and try to make it grounded or even the mcu to a certain degree with, with some of its elements they try to make it like okay what if the, where these people were in our world whereas this is just like uh-uh no, we're not playing by those rules. We're going to get weird, and we're not even going to tell you why it's weird, and we're just going to have fun doing it, and you got to go, I respect every single thing about that. I, I love it. You know, like you were saying, especially in, like, MCU or any some of these other movies, that they... This is something I know we talked about a lot. I, I, don't, I forget if we mentioned it in any of our past episodes, but this idea that for any weird idea that's presented, they have to explain it just to justify its existence and it's like i don't know for 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 me i when that concept alone just just outside of like storytelling just irks me because like you're now you're telling me that weird things need to explain themselves just just let them let them be weird and have fun you know like that's 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 some of the best kind of things you can see in a movie because you i don't see weird things like that in real life I want to I want to see him in a movie and have fun with it. So Flash Gordon does that tenfold, and I'm and I I, I got to bow to that. I got to respect that. Thank you. 
Yeah, I just I'm just thinking about it. so but the ba- the basic like gist of this story is that new quarterback of the New York Jets Flash Gordon <laughs> uh, gets get uh, Flash Gordon Dale and uh, Hans Zarkov this this scientist who everybody thinks is crazy but he really isn't <laughs> and they get captured they they go into space and they get captured by my Ming's forces <laughs> and they want Flash Gordon to start a revolution uh, in the in the Mongo on the Mongo planets. <laughs> <laughs> and like all the mongo moons and all this other stuff dude here's what i also love about this movie is like um, just about every character is memorable oh yeah in some way like we were talking about all the different ones like of course max von Sydow, international max von Sydow, wherever he international superstar who's been like in igmar bergman's movies the exorcist you know, was eventually in Game of Thrones and The Force Awakens. Like this dude is Ming, the, is Ming the Merciless. Listen, in this movie, Max von Sydow is a is is and always will be a national treasure, uh, an international treasure, a global treasure. Really, he is just pure. He is the gold and the bottom of the sea that is um, unobtainable, but you know it's there and it's just it's glimmering and golden and lovely. That is Max von Sydow. As a person, and as a performer, so anytime he shows up in any of these movies, like whatever we're watching, it's just like you know it's a treat. Yeah, I'm, you know, with him, um, of course, you have uh, one of the you, uh, Peter. I think his name is Peter Wingard as um, as Clytus, who we thought for a hot second was Jeremy Irons because <laughs> he sounds just like Jer- it's so weird. Like they both have the I, I can't do it. I almost did Scar from Lion King. <laughs> I was going to do the voice. <laughs> so prepare for the chance of a lifetime. I have to mention. I have to mention uh, these two because they their performances. I feel like are like opposites, but it works so well in the movie. And that is Brian Blessed as Prince Voltan mm. and Timothy Dalton as Barry. The best one because Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Just to bring him up first because we already brought up Voltan a little bit. Timothy Dalton as Baron, he plays it pretty straight. Yes, honestly, and that's part of the fun. Like he's in this Robin Hood suit, but he carries like this laser gun, almost having like this Han Solo energy about him. And he walks in the room, he's just like freeze, deactivate the lightning fields. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> he almost he almost plays it like too serious, and it just kind of makes it like fun. Like it's almost like over dramatic a little bit. Yes, he's playing. He's playing to like the back seats as if it was like Shakespeare's. He's giving a full-on theater performance. And listen, Timothy Dalton is like, for a personal like dudes thing, it's just a national treasure for us, an international treasure for us. And like, as he's he's been in so many great things, like one of our favorite movies, Hot Fuzz, where he's like he's so great in that movie. Or like, I I I love the show Doom Patrol, and he's on that. He kind of does the same thing on Doom Patrol because that show is just so like creative but like super weird and like all the other characters are so offbeat and interesting and then you have timothy dalton who's just like serious but like over dramatically serious so that's what i was thinking of watching flash gordon and um no he's great in the movie and uh the the that that outfit that outfit is perfection the the, like leotard green like weaving like oh my god it's just great and then of course i uh, gotta mention brian blessed as prince voltan i mean his he probably has the best lines 
of the whole movie. He's got so many memorable quotes. Dive! <laughs> what a damn nuisance! <laughs> Gordon's alive! <laughs> I just, I just like his laugh too. Just like his mouth just opens up wide. He's like, <laughs> it's perfect, and he's clearly just having a ball. And actually, if you ever pick up the Blu-ray, the the commentary track that he does is one of the best you'll ever listen to because he just has so many fun anecdotes about the production. And he just talks about, like, you know, the advice that he gave Max von Sydow. He's like, oh, use your hands. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. No, he is having a clear, like, he's he's clearly having the best time of everybody in this movie. And it's so infectious. It's, oh, my God. It's, I love it. And, like, like I was saying earlier, like, the first time, like, I saw him from you was when he bonked the guy in the head. And I was like great <laughs> i do want to shift over a little bit to uh the main actor mr sam jones yeah because here's the thing i have a story about him evidently i don't know if this is true or not but i'm gonna just i'm just gonna tell it as if it is true I take it with a, with a grain of salt but um my mother my lovely lovely mother i love you mom if you're listening apparently in 1982 she was at a car show um in the city and at that car show was sam jones two years after flash gordon came out and uh also mind you he at the time he was nine years older than my mom starts asking her out oh man (laughs) wow yeah so um and it was funny too because like i was she came in at one point when we were watching the movie and she's like and i was like do you recognize him she goes yeah (laughs) (laughs) so sam jones could have been my father well no no biologically speaking my dad would have still been my dad but um my mom would have probably married somebody else yeah i guess i i uh i i guess so and we wouldn't have been able to do this podcast so i appreciate my mother for not being with sam jones but let, let's talk about uh sam jones uh a bit further in this movie because it's it's actually like it, quite interesting to hear like the story of sam jones and like his relation with this um with this movie yeah i didn't know much about any of it because i know you know a whole lot about it um i guess just from a just for a personal feeling like his performance i think this is something you were saying it does fit within the movie as far as just like the kind of weirdness of his performance, but I'm not. I wouldn't say it was a good performance. I, I would agree with that. Like, there's there's whole scenes where like he'll like he's the worst sneak attack artist ever. He'll build something up, but then scream about it as he's lunging at somebody. So, so like like there's a whole scene where he's like tricking um uh hans and uh, he's just like you let a dick <laughs> it's just like lunching at him <laughs> and then there's and then and then there's a scene where he's like uh pretending that he got hurt in this like contest he's doing with baron uh timothy dalton's character and then like he and then uh baron tries to like approach him and he goes i tricked you baron <laughs> <laughs> I tricked you. <laughs> Which I gotta say that 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 contest scene you referred to it does have some pretty good tension in it when you're when you're. When it you're really watching. does, but then you get to that moment and it's like I tricked you. 
I got you. <laughs> I got you. I, I think I still stand by that where Sam Joe's performance look, this performance is not like one for the ages or anything like that. It's his most famous performance, obviously, but it, I think it it works within the the universe of that movie. Like if that if if that movie was played more serious, it played as a more serious thing, the performance would be I think we would I, I would feel like awful. It'd be horrendous. Yeah. You know, it would just be a complete mismatch. You know what it made me think of a little bit? What? Val Kilmer in Batman Forever. Oh, really? Because that movie is meant to be like super wild and very tongue in cheek and and comic booky and, and very like colorful and stuff, kinda like Flash Gordon. The difference being that Val Kilmer um, while he has like a few like jokes and stuff written into his take on Batman, plays it very very straight. Like like he's very like listen, Val Kilmer gives an amazing performance as Batman in a different in a differently toned version of Batman of Batman Forever. But within Batman Forever, for being as cartoony as it is, it's just like he comes off really boring. <laughs> right. So, like, it kind of made me think of that, um, at least with Flash's performance, or not Flash performance, Sam Jones' performance, almost my father. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, he at least fits within the world that's created, even if his performance isn't, like, the grading ever. Yeah, I can agree with that, for sure. And I'll, I'll get into, like, some of the other things I just don't feel fantastic about this movie, particularly, like, the female characters. Oh, they're terrible. Uh, the way they're... They're yeah, so bad. They're awful. <laughs> like, you have, uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, you have Dale, who I mean, she has like one moment of gymnastics and like one moment of like like kind of being cool. Then the rest of the time, she's just like, "Flash, help me!" Yeah. <laughs> and then you have um, uh, Ming's daughter, who's Aura, for lack of a better, yeah, Hara. What's what's it? Hara? Hora? Aura? 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 I would say um. She uh she has many suitors in this movie. She gets around in the in, in this movie, you know, <laughs> and it's like a it's like a running thing too. And one of my favorite lines of the movie, Flash says, "Is like you trust her more than once or something like that." <laughs> you think you could trust her again? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And even and even like the worst part is like. When she, like, because, yeah, obviously she's, like, a very sexual character. She also, um, I feel like the movie just sexualizes the the actor a lot. And it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a whole scene where she's, like, getting whipped for, like, disciplinary, you know, for, like, breaking some rule or whatever. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. they have, the, clearly the shot they decided to do was the shot of her, like, w- like just enough that you can see her cleavage. And it's, right. it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just a weird approach. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think the, the actresses themselves pro- do the best they can with the roles they're, um, they're given, you know? Yeah. They play it. They do. They, they clearly are having fun, but it's just, you can't help but look at those performances and go, these like very one note written characters. And it's just like, you could have done better. Granted, Sam Jones is kind of the same, so I I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, part of it too is like I, I hate to say this, but I think I feel like they they knew what their audience was going to be. Yeah, basically with, with this movie, I didn't. I don't want to sound like that, but you know, especially like when you have a movie where 
it's mostly dudes working on it, and you have Dino De Laurentiis working on. You have all these, all this macho energy, and I need my sex appeal. You need the yeah. Where is and and everyone else is going. Max von Sydow's bald, and he's wearing glittery breastplates. That's that's very sexy. No, it's not what I want. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it, it's um, I, I will say with with this movie, like that that kind of stuff aside, I think what it succeeds on, I think we, we agreed on this is like the imagery. Almost every scene on some level is iconic or well done in some way. Yeah, you know what? Another actor I I didn't uh, get to mention earlier was Topol, who plays uh, Hans Zarkov in this movie. I like to call him '80s Jermaine Clement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were saying that throughout the movie, but he had, he, I think he gives like a really stellar performance. Like one of my favorite scenes with him, and we were bringing this uh, up, is after like he regains his memories back and, and he's just like, they can't take those things away. <laughs> I was thinking of Beatles and, and, and Shakespeare. They can't take that away. <laughs> it's like, I was like, that's, listen. Any other way, that would just be just pure lunacy. But it's pure lunacy in the best possible way. It's it's just wild. As far as the as the as the soundtrack is concerned, you know, Queen obviously was involved with this production. The great mm. great band, yes, you know, and it, it's always really funny too because like the third act of this movie when they're having like the final battle, which is all kinds of nuts and bonkers. And you just hear, like, Freddie Mercury's vocals. It's a miracle! It's like, it's like cutting back and forth. It's so frenetic. And you're like, oh my god, when is he going to get to Ming's Palace? When is he going to get there? <laughs> oh, man. I'm almost kind of like, I don't want him to. Because I just want to keep rocking out. Just like that, those Brian May... Just you know, and, oh and even god, dude, it's even outside of just like the the main like obviously like the flash oh like theme like I love I love like the bridal march that they that they do I love the football the football yes. sequence my is probably the best scene in the movie but also has like probably my favorite piece of music and oh man and it's actually cool too because the soundtrack you can listen to it with the synthesizers. And you can listen to it without the synthesizers, and it's really fun to listen to. Nice. Listen to both, honestly. But it, it's just, just such a weird, strange, beautiful amalgamation. Like this 30s, like 1930s comic book and serial uh, character mixed with this really strange cast. I mean, we mentioned like Sam Jones, <laughs> we, we mentioned Brian Blessed, Timothy Dalton, Max von Sydow, Topol. You know, you have all these weird things. You have Dino De Laurentiis as the producer. Um, uh, Lorenzo Semple Jr. did the screenplay for this. Yes. Right. Um, and for those of you who don't know who that is, he, excuse me, he is responsible for another highly cartoonish, incredibly iconic comic book adaptation, Batman 1966. And you, like, when you pointed that out to me that that was that person, I'm like, yeah, I can definitely, I can, I can see it because yeah. there's, there's a quality about this movie where, you know, there are people like, did they know it was this goofy? And it's like, oh yeah, they knew they, they knew. Oh, of course. It, it's much smarter than that. <laughs> like, like, listen, listen, they, they made Batman. Come on. On that note, 
Where was my Max von Sydow, Mr. Freeze? That You end up meeting him later on, and I understand that they got an actor for Mr. Freeze. But how cool Max von Sydow as Mr. Freeze. I'm just saying. Dude, imagine with his voice. Like there, there are some great scenes with with him with him and his vo- his voice, hurling your bodies into the void, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's so good, Batman. I don't know, I couldn't think of another Mister Freeze thing, at least in the '60s context. <laughs> my wife, Ugh. that was from the '90s. Um, as far as like just a kind of like an all encompassing feeling on Flash Gordon, it's kind of funny because we we talked about this a lot. Like you're saying, we did an episode about like comic booky nature of things um but also just i i've constantly talked about i've been desiring for the longest time just like a like a comic booky just weird exciting new experience type deal from movies which i don't get a lot these days in fact um it was is hysterical and amazing that patrick willems who we've talked about a few times he made an entire video like his most recent video about these kinds of movies that like are like have flaws like deep flaws but have so much imagination and so much like creativity and you have so much fun watching them that you kind of forgive a lot of the problems that they have and i've been trying to watch more and more movies like that even if they're movies that may have turned me off when they first came out maybe because i saw like a review a couple of reviews that were just like no i don't see this so i'm like screw that i'm watching these now um like like a lot of the wachowski movies like speed racer is very much like like Speed Racer is an amazing movie, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> it's so good because it's so wild and so weird. Um, but I think Flash Gordon perfectly fits in that bubble of those types of movies. And for that, like I might have maybe not as li- loved it as much as you did, but I definitely enjoyed it and had a lot of fun with it, um, flaws and all. Um, maybe I'll own it at some point, but I'm happy to have watched it it's definitely a movie where because people think about like things that are just like so goofy or sometimes so bad where you like laugh at them this is one of those cases where i feel like you laugh with the movie because they're laughing too that they know how much how much fun it is they know how goofy it is and silly but it's still like too just to bring it up before that we wrap uh for the intermission I, I, the, the production values too are astonishing for this for this thing. I mean, you look at all the costuming they have to do, all the unique, crazy things. Like I love like the the entrance to Ming's palace where you see like the giant black, almost like black marble statues of Ming. Yes, you know, and just some of like the some of those shots. Like there's some just really creative, like crazy visuals. They like you said, packed with a lot of imagination. But on that note, we are going to. Uh, take a brief break from saving the universe and when we come back we're going to talk about what we might see as a modern day flash gordon 1980 of sorts stay tuned
Yeah. No, I'm not. Oh, God. <coughs> We're back. A dinosaur story. <coughs> oh, what an obscure and amazing reference. Welcome back. <laughs> Two dudes. What a double feature. Fun, fun fact about that movie before we talk about our next movie. Uh, I think We're Back, A Dinosaur Story was the last movie I ever rented on VHS. <laughs> oh, really? It was the last movie I, I rented on VHS. And it wasn't from Blockbuster. It was from like this like mom pa owned place. And I don't think, I think it closed not much longer after that, unfortunately. You know, it was like just thinking that, you know, it's upsetting. If the, if the owners of that store are listening, thank you for providing Joey with his final uh vhs experience i mean what is that movie it's got like what was it walter cronkite is in it john goodman is is a dinosaur in that one you know you know what you know what just made me think of what we got a blockbuster at one point in my in my hometown it's a va it's a verizon wireless now but um before that inside our grocery store we had a vhs rental store which I totally forgot. I was just thinking about that, like, oh my god. There was a, a video renting place inside my grocery store <laughs> at one point. Oh, I just went back in time for a second. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> just stop feeling old for a second. Alright, we're good. We talked about Flash Gordon. We talked about this, like, super weird but super fun comic book movie. Jump to the year 2017. And uh, we have another movie that definitely uh, inspired by Flash Gordon is part of a much more, I guess, uh, it's a big, it's a significantly bigger franchise, like another, like a small factor and a much larger franchise. One of my favorite small factors, probably my absolute favorite small factor. And that small factor is not small at all because it is Thor Ragnarok. Oh, baby. Let's go. Let's do this. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Fla- uh, I almost said Flash Gordon again. Thor Ragnarok, directed by Taika Waititi, his first film in the MCU, and uh, the third entry in the Thor franchise. And also, this is our first MCU movie. That's right. It is. We've talked. I mean, we've kind of talked about the MCU before in other, in other episodes, but this is our first official episode about an MCU movie. I think it shows we have a lot of restraint, honestly. I'm, I'm kind of proud of ourselves that it took us this long. It took us 13 episodes. I'm going to pat yourself on the shoulder, Joey. I'm gonna Woo! Woo! Go us! <laughs> the uh, self-congratulatory part of our program is now ceased. No, for Ragnarok! <laughs> this thing is a blast. This thing is so much fun. And I had... I had some hesitancy going into this because the first two Thor movies, they're kind of a mixed bag to say the least. Like the first yeah. one's fine-ish. I, I like Kenneth Branagh, but I think he's made better and worse movies than Thor. But Thor's just kind of whatever, especially, you know, as a phase one movie. And Thor 2 has some things to admire, but I think, uh, you I don't know if you'll agree with me, it might be the weakest or one of the weakest MCU entries to date. Yes. hundred and... 25 percent i went and i went an extra 15 percent than i normally do which is 102 so i hiked it yeah here's the thing about just the thor movies but just also just the mcu in general because like i mentioned that thor ragnarok is my favorite movie in the mcu like like you'll probably hear like 
Endgame or Infinity War or whatever. Like, that's fine. You know, you like what you like. It's Thor Ragnarok for me because, first and foremost, this movie came out at a perfect time because prior to the, the release of this movie, I was just not caring all that much about the MCU. Outside of, say, like, Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, Winter Soldier, which I love both those movies, even uh, Volume 2, which came out the same year, was is a great movie. I just was really not feeling a lot of these movies. And then on top of that, you know, being a DC fan, and uh, we had Man of Steel, BVS, and Suicide Squad, I was just depressed. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm genuinely trying to like these movies i even maybe liked um suicide squad for a hot second but after a while like quickly you just kind of go no no these are not good and so it's just like if i'm not enjoying the mcu and and the dceu from the start kind of sucks then you know it's just it's just like an awful feeling really totally so 2017 2017 with the superhero genre was an absolute blessing because we got lego batman we got Guardians of the Galaxy, we got Wonder Woman, and of course, we got Thor Ragnarok. And the funniest thing about it is that this movie does everything that I was complaining about as far as, like, other MCU entries. Like, it makes Thor incredibly funny instead of serious. It has a ton of jokes and setups that you kind of need to have seen the rest of the MCU it has a ton of jokes and a ton of references that you need to have seen the rest of the MCU to appreciate. All of it is great. It's just, it's the weirdest thing that this movie does exactly like what I I didn't want, but it did it so well that I loved it. And it made me, and it kind of revitalized my interest in the MCU to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this. Like, and it was the perfect time because I mean, Endgame and Infinity War was coming out. And if I didn't care at that point, I wouldn't have given a crap about those movies. I appreciate this movie for doing that. And I put a lot of that credit towards, uh, Taika Waititi, the God himself. Yeah. I'm calling him a God because he is now an, uh, Academy award winning, um, Academy award winning screenwriter. I thought you were going to say deity. <laughs> well, I, th- I feel like I-, I feel like you were gonna say that anyway. So yeah, Academy Award winning deity. But man, this movie—it's uh, I love this movie so much. One thing it does pretty well, like you were mentioning before, is its connections to the MCU. I think it, it weaves those in pretty well for the most part to craft. Uh, you know, an emotional, you know, an emotional story. Like one of the big elements that people were excited for with this movie was Hulk. Cause we hadn't seen Hulk in a while. We hadn't seen Thor and Hulk in a while, but like Hulk went off somewhere with the Quinjet and we we're like, well, where, where the hell did Hulk go? And this was sort of like the planet Hulk storyline. I was gonna say, it's not even just the Hulk being in the movie. It's the Hulk. It's the fact that this is kind of like a, like a, like a slight adaptation of that story because that's a fan favorite comic. And it was, like, the only way they could have done it because Universal still has, like, the solo Hulk movie rights. Disney doesn't have, doesn't really have those, but they can still make Hulk, uh, you know, a part of these MCU movies. They just can't do solo movies. But they weave in, like, elements from Age of Ultron, you know, to add to his character story. Like, the little, you know, reference for, like, Black Widow, the sun's getting real low. Like, I remember when I first heard that, I was dying. It was hysterical. It was just so oh funny to hear Dude, that. That whole moment is just one giant reference from one movie to another like the the two avengers movies 
but it works so well. So, like, you know, he does that, and then I love it when Hulk just starts slamming him, and then Loki just goes, Yes! That's how it feels! Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was so perfect. I was like, if Loki hadn't reacted, I would have... I would have been like, okay, that's just cool. But no, the fact that he just like was like, yeah, I was like, that's so good. Yeah, that whole that whole like uh, that gladiator fight scene with with Thor and Hulk is, is definitely a big highlight in the movie. I think it's a fun fight to see like two heroes, you know, go at it, and it's it's it actually it makes sense within the story. Yes, why they're fighting, but it's so colorful and vibrant and bright, and that's another big thing with this movie. Outside of most of like the um, uh, Asgard sequences. This is a very colorful and, like, vibrant-looking movie. And we have to attribute a lot of that to the fact that this movie... Like, I was talking about, uh, again, uh, in that Scott Pilgrim episode, this idea that I feel like a lot of comic book movies don't adapt the artist the way that they adapt the writer for a lot of the stories, Mm -hmm. which always bummed me out because it's like, the artist is... Come on, the artist is just as important as... Like, they're also telling the same story you know, with their, with their art. And one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic artists in comics is Jack Kirby. It was, it was always Stanley and Jack Kirby who was responsible for a lot of like people's favorite things about the MCU or just Marvel in general. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was so amazing to finally see a movie that is channeling his artwork um, with like the set design and the characters and the way that they look like it like it literally felt like Jack Kirby drew this movie and it was it was just such a nice like thing to finally see especially in the MCU a movie that looked like it was wanting to honor the artist as well as the writer yeah like we were talking about this while we we're watching like so many shots feel like they're stripped out of like a comic book like the scene where where Thor is getting chased by like that dragon creature at the be- at the beginning, I like to think it's a a Bill Schneid, right? Yeah, the thing that Thor mentions in Avengers because it kind of looks like one. I I don't know if that's confirmed, but I like to think it's one. But Could be. Sorry, no, no, no. Yeah, but like that that feels like something straight out of a comic book. You know, just seeing like a giant wolf. Kate Blanchett has a giant wolf, and Hulk fights a giant wolf. <laughs> or when they're going through like the uh, like the Bifrost, and you see like the rainbows, and you see what a uh, Hella. Kate Blanche's character choke Thor and like shatter some of like the rainbow thing. It feels like for a brief second, it feels like an Alex Ross like painting for for a moment. It just feels so beautifully uh, crafted. Oh, it's like um, I think you were about to say this too. Like like the like the shots that are like splash pages from a comic book. Like these like these wide paneled shots uh, where like there's like the very first shot in the movie feels like a splash page. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell, like, maybe Taika Waititi was channeling a bit of that, like, Wes Anderson symmetry kind of feeling in that you see the shot, and it's just, it's so perfect. And then, like, like you are saying, the shot where he's being uh, chased, or, like, the shot when Thor gets his lightning, essentially, or, like, learns to use his lightning without his hammer. Mm-hmm. When he first comes down, like, in slow motion, and you hear the Immigrant song oh. the second time in the movie. Yeah. That, that is gorgeous. Ah, oh, we need more of that. Yeah, it's it's really um, it's really beautiful uh, to look at, but it's easy to say. Like we were talking about, like with the Gonzo blockbuster thing that Patrick Williams brought up, it's it's cool to have like a lot of really cool imagery. But I feel like what what sets 
like Thor Ragnarok and also our previous film apart from others is that the characters are so memorable in this movie not just like Thor because we of course know Thor we know Loki we know Odin but like we get Valkyrie in this movie she's a you know, a character that we, we grow to like over the course of the movie. You know, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster is so yes. incredibly memorable. Korg. He's, he's, oh, Korg. Oh, Korg. Listen, of all, the, of all the films I've seen where a director puts themselves in their own movie, this is my favorite. Eat your heart out, Hitchcock. <laughs> That's the best director cameo. Korg all the way. Oh my god. Korg is such an amazing character. And I think this kind of launched a career for Taika outside of being a director for like voice voice casting, like interesting characters. So like he does Korg, he did um the the bounty hunter droid in uh Mandalorian, and he may be the voice of King Shark in uh the Suicide Squad james gunn's film which if that is the case it's gonna be the greatest movie ever i'm sorry i love wonder woman i love aquaman but if that if that happens then i think the suicide squad is just gonna be amazing i'm so ready for it if because king shark listen i will say if you've seen the harley quinn show on disney uh, not disney plus <laughs> oh man on hbo max sorry hbo max not really that show's hysterical and one of the best characters is king shark because he's just he's just not like a menacing like vicious character he's just so like nice mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like he's like he's like a really like optimistic like nerdy guy but then like he smells blood and he gets murderous and it's so funny <laughs> So I, I'm just so excited if Taika Waititi is the voice of King Shark. But um, going back to Thor Ragnarok, some of the most quotable lines are from Korg. Yes. When we were watching it, you mentioned I've quoted the Hammer dialogue back and forth so much to the point where if you had like a nickel for every time I did that, you'd be richer than Jeff Bezos. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. But you know what? I made you rich. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great lines. Piss off, ghost! He's freaking gone. <laughs> uh, you look like you're like you need it like you need a desperate need of like leadership. Well, thank you. <laughs> Why thank you? <laughs> or like, oh, Mix did. Oh, I just felt real guilty, so I just been holding it. Oh, Mix alive, everyone. Mix alive, guys. What was your question again, man? <laughs> <laughs> the character is is his his hysterical, but. I'm thinking about, like, the other characters, too. Like, the, the, some of them actually have, like, more serious arcs and all that. Like, Bruce Banner and Hulk actually gets, like, they're funny, but one of the best scenes is when he sees, like, the Black Widow video on the Quinjet. Oh, yeah, And he morphs back into Banner. And you also have that um, that beautiful shot where it's, like, the the Hulk's face, you know, sort of overlaps Banner's, Banner's face as he's watching the, that, that one video. Um, but there's also some great lines like, you know, when, when they're forming the Revengers or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, I, I haven't decided if I want revenge. <laughs> like, or <whatever. laughs> like, like, well, you know, because I'm, I'm getting revenge. You, you, you want revenge? What do you do? You want revenge? I'm I'm undecided. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even just like and I and I still know I, I think I heard somewhere that this was um, improvised, but I love the snake story. Oh, yes. That, that Thor tells. <laughs> She's like. One time, this one time when we were kids, uh, he transformed it. He, <laughs> uh, he transformed into a snake, and I saw. I went over and I, 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 and I wanted to pet the snake, you know, to admire it. And then he turned back into himself and he went, "Ah, oh, it's me!" And he stabbed me. 
was like, that's so great. It's so great. But it also, like, too, with, like, the scenes with, like, Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston, it works so well, too. Not just that they got a great director and they're great actors, but they've been playing these parts, you know, since 2011, you know, since, well, they were filming in 2010 or whatever. So, like, they've been playing these parts for a very long time. So it's really nice to have that um, back and forth. They, They even have some really nice, like, emotional moments like when they're in the elevator i i like that scene where you, you like you, you think so little of me brother i thought the world of you and i'm like oh <laughs> just right in the heart and no and and you're and you're right like they've played these characters not even just in their own franchise but like in uh in the avengers movies like in the avengers movies yeah. and um and so like they clearly um have grown a chemistry and i was mentioning this when we were watching it like i was like can we appreciate that for like at least for the first time it feels like in these Thor movies that um ooh my dog just came in <laughs> just came into my room hello hello oh you're all wet oh okay well my dog's in my room now she'll she'll be in the podcast with us um <laughs> so um the uh what was I saying these guys never really got to like explore their relationship as brothers. I feel like in a, in a lot of these movies, mm-hmm. there was like that moment in like the second half of of Thor: The Dark World. But for the most part, we don't really ever get that kind of like because that's something I've been wanting to see with those two characters, like to actually see them as brothers. And I think Ragnarok does that perfectly. Yeah, it's like you actually you actually get those moments, especially at this point because they've grown as like the movie literally starts with Thor going back to Asgard and realizing that his brother has taken over. Yeah. <laughs> then we get basically Thor and Loki for a while. Then they, then they separate, but like there's, they, they like Taika and like everybody, I feel like made them kind of like the, the emotional core is their relationship in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciated that wholeheartedly, even if the movie isn't entirely about them as being brothers like it i think it's definitely a centerpiece yeah absolutely for for sure one of the bit one of the big things with this movie too and i've heard people bring this up like you got like themes like you got imperialism and colonialism like asgard you think oh is this great kingdom things are hunky-dory and whatever it's like no it got to this point through a series of bloody conflicts you know it it conquered these people through through force and violence and you know, it's almost like like the sins of the father are coming down onto onto Thor as he has to sort of rectify his father's mistakes and find a new home for his people. But he also kind of wrestle with with the fact that you know a lot of his father's legacy is not a proud one when you really think about it. That was that's kind of an amazing scene, really, too. Just like having Hela like destroy the mural that like falsely represents the way Asgard came to be. And you know it's it it's a it's a very very relevant bit of commentary too. Like you even look at um, just stuff in like you know I know people are gonna probably get angry about this, but I don't really care. But like um, stuff in America mm-hmm. and like the idea that you know, like that's why I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'll eat the food, but <laughs> I mean I won't celebrate Thanksgiving because you know. Listen, fun fact: we stole this country. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, an, it's, it's kind of refreshing to see something like that and, uh, to see like, especially in like a big superhero movie, um, to see that kind of take place a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the, in the MCU. And this was before like Black Panther as well, which comments a lot, a lot of like stuff, you know, 
you know, a lot, lot of like relevant topics. So it, it is kind of interesting too, to have this one sort of, and again, you have the perspective of somebody like Taika Waititi bringing that into the table. So it adds, um, it adds layers, but I want to talk about, <laughs> dude, can we appreciate Carl Urban for a second? Oh my, okay. Listen, everybody, Carl Urban needs more love this guy okay the star trek movies dread this movie the freaking boys billy the butcher let's go carl urban is amazing and i think he deserves significantly more praise than he gets and I'm not even mentioning Lord of the Rings because, you know, famously I forget that he was in that movie. But he was in those movies. I'll never forget this conversation where I sent you this, like, you're watching this video of him and you're like, oh, I never knew he was, like, such a nerd. I'm like, oh, which makes you th- say that? He's like, oh, well, you know, he's got this Lord of the Rings stuff. I'm like, well, he was in Lord of the Rings, Richard. Well, I mean, not even just that. But, like, he had some other things, too, that I was like, that's kind of cool. So, I mean, he's still probably a little nerdy, but he just also happened to be in Lord of the Rings. There you go. And I forgot about that. But, as I've said, I tend to forget Lord of the Rings a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I try to. Fun fact, I'm not a massive fan. So, you know, sorry. Not really. Uh, <laughs> but Carl Urban, like, the man deserves so much more, I think, because he's just so great. And I'm actually, because I have my, um, I'm right next to my television right now, and I see an ad for the boys, and he's just staring at me, and I'm like, I get you, <laughs> I get you. <laughs> but, and he's great in Thor Ragnarok. Like, I just love, like, obviously, the like, one of the most iconic lines in the movie, Behold! My stuff. <laughs> and he has a nice little, like, little sort of character arc, you know, by, by the end of the movie. Yeah, he helps out, he helps out, and, and that that's kind of nice. Uh, the villains in this movie are really, really great. I mean, uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, as the Grandmaster, just the, bringing that weird, like, Jeff Goldblum quirkiness to somebody so who good. is really evil when you think about it. Like, one of my favorite moments yeah. is where, oh, his, yeah. where his assistant is, like, brings up the word slaves. He's like, no, 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 I, I don't like that word. What word? Mainframe? No, no. The S word. What? Why would you say mainframe? <laughs> uh, sorry, the prisoners with jobs. Yeah, but <laughs> and he accepts that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he accepts that, and he, you know, so it, it's like you said, what you're thinking about, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, Hella, I think, is a really solid villain in the MCU. Mostly, Kate Blanchett is just inc- an incredible actress. I mean, Kate Blanchett, like, I mean, like we talked earlier about. Um, like a like Mulan with like the live action Disney remakes, you know she's she's uh, she all she needs to do is be in a Star Wars movie. My dog is licking my leg now, by the way. <laughs> all she needs to do is be in a Star Wars movie, and she's she she'll be the best element in like th- in like the three like kind of major um, uh, money makers for Disney. <laughs> mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So she she needs the she needs to get that uh that last one. She needs to get that what what do they call it the hat trick in hockey or like a turkey in bowling like three strikes. Right. <laughs> yeah. She needs she needs to get that last strike because uh, she deserves it. She's so good. And I love like we were talking about like um the design of her like things. Her character like is so wild. She has this massive helmet. That is so unnatural. It's clearly CGI. Like she, like I know they made like a practical one, but that thing is just weird, and I love it. And she shoots spikes out of her hands and stuff. She's like Maleficent on steroids. Yes, and she basically has one of my favorite scenes with her 
is when um she basically kills the entirety of like the army from Asgard and you're just like damn she just mowed them all down <laughs> wow oh man and um even i even just like the scene when um she's in Odin's treasure room and it has all like the little nods to like everything else in the MCU so she's like fake she pushes she pushes the gauntlet over and then she just looks at the frost the 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 frost cube thing and she's like eh <laughs> then of course she looks at the test rack and goes that's not bad but the fact but you get, it makes you think that the fact that uh an infinity stone only slightly impresses her just makes me go she is so much more badass than we know <laughs> one of the other things i really like about th- about this movie too and i like uh, a lot of some of the things i really like about the mc movies is how they defeat the villains in the end in a lot of the recent ones so like in um doctor strange right he uses that like time loop trick basically he basically trolls dormammu (laughs) and in guardians of the galaxy they're literally fighting a planet you know yeah and that's exciting this movie thor can't beat hella he admits it he can't beat her no he's very strong but he cannot defeat his sister so what does he do he gets giant eyebrow wearing mr krabs with a flaming sword to take her down. It's it's a crown. I thought it was a big eyebrow. It's a crown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But imagine imagine that. Imagine a villain so strong in order to defeat them, you have to like have the apocalypse happen. You have to have the apocalypse. Yeah, you have to have like yeah, you have to have the apocalypse happen essentially. Like Ragnarok was the only way you could save Asgard, and yet the physical body that is Asgard is is no more. I, I even like the scene when um when Korg is like, we will rebuild the foundation, and then it just blows up and goes, oh, wait, no, never mind, the foundation's gone, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as they say in the movie, Asgard is not a place. It's a people. It's a people. And it really has, like, an optimistic ending to the point where when you watch like Infinity War right afterwards, it's very jarring. Oh, it's very jarring. It's so weird. Listen, this this might sound this might I mean I've said I mean I said I didn't like Lord of the Rings all that much earlier, so I guess controversial opinions. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> we've said matter. that we've liked The Last Jedi several times. We're okay. We can handle it. <laughs> we can do it. Oh man. But um I love this movie so much. I love the uh Thor Ragnarok so much. And to see that that's how they decided to continue it, and like Thor's whole arc throughout Infinity War, feels like it just like while there's definitely some nece- like some uh, progression of his character that works mm-hmm. for the most part, it all just feels like it completely like scraps almost everything that Taika Waititi did. Because like one of the things I loved about Thor Ragnarok was that it gave Thor genuine change. Yeah, you know, like not even just like physical, because like he lost his eye, has to wear an eye patch, the hammer's gone, so now he has to rely on himself. But also just as a character, and like he, you like you clearly see that he grows into a much better character as this plays out. But then jump into Infinity War, he gets his eye back, <laughs> he uh, he he gets a hammer again, and he kind of just becomes regular Thor. Like he doesn't feel like how he was before. And so, like, it just feels like a complete backstep, in my opinion. And so, it's, like, it's it's kind of, a, like, it's, of all the different story arcs, it's kind of a bummer, admittedly. Though I do think they uh, redeemed themselves a bit with Endgame, because I love Fat Thor. Fat Thor is great. I, I, don't, I don't care what anyone says. I love Fat Thor. Mm-hmm. 
he's so fun i just i just wish that um they didn't just like completely like revert back i guess at least for me with thor in the following movies so it's kind of a bummer just going from that like you said um from thor ragnarok into infinity war that way well not even just like just the character arc too which i i definitely i can definitely see that but also just like when you think of the people of asgard how much they've suffered and then then you see like what thanos does basically yes and i know okay i'm this is gonna be like silly because i know people say well thanos lets 50 percent of the people survive i'm like listen realistically first off it's still sick yeah he's terrible stop idolizing gr- um evil grimace you wimps <laughs> second part of me is hard pressed to believe that really 50 percent of them survive because well just there's so much going on before he even did the 50 percent that he was initially gonna snap away he had to lay the foundation how do you lay the foundation if you're a villain you kill people you kill yeah you got to kill people and your stooges are going to inevitably you know kill people or whatever so Whatever. That's a whole other tangent. That's talking about Infinity War. Infinity War, I think, is a good movie, by the way. It's just, you know. Yeah. I guess the the, just, the reaction in some degree. But but I will say, in that regard, I do I do understand it. Because, like, some of the best villains kind of make you go, you know. But in that case, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, it I, is just weird to see people online, like, sort of, like, worshipping Thanos. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a great villain, I'll agree, yes. but, like, to, to say that you, like, oh, I could s- totally see his, his point is, like, it's kind of sickening in my book, mm-hmm. and like, the more I think about it, really. But going off of, uh, more going off of, like, Thor Ragnarok, I think also I want to bring up, too, like, Queen, the music of Queen was a huge element of flash gordon mm. and i'm amazed it's taken us this long to bring up the music i mean you know when you talk about an mcu movie it kind of you kind of end up talking about some of the other entries it's just it's just natural that way but um but like you were saying with the music mark mothersbaugh another person i think deserves a lot more credit for the amazing work i mean obviously people know him from devo uh for me he is a local hero he and i were actually born in the same city fun fact oh wow yeah huh um, he actually did an art show um, not that long ago there, and uh, uh, he he was it was the only time I've ever seen someone get presented the key to the city. Like you see that in movies all the time, like it's just like a really weird thing. But to actually see someone like get the quote unquote key to the city, it's kind of weird. But you know, I think he deserves it. Um, side note, he uh, he got tested positive for COVID, so I will say, Mark Mothersby, I hope I hope you're okay, and I hope uh, you get you get through that. But no, his music in this movie is tremendous. The freaking fanfare when the logo shows up is some of the best music in the entirety of the MCU. I love it so much. Just that, like the, the just oh, it's so good. Oh my god! <laughs> I also love like in the end credits, like you know, not when they go when the credits turn to black, but like when you see like the pictures and stuff for the credits might be like my favorite for the MCU. Oh my god! You know, with that, uh, with that music, it, it's so good. It's so good, and even like there's like there's like a brief moment where he like brings back the old Thor theme whenever he uh, sits on the throne at the end of the movie for the first time. But like the new, I guess the new theme that he brought to Thor is so good. That I kind of wish that it that it became his official theme. I'm hoping that when Guardians three comes out and if Thor is involved in that in some way, uh, that 
we get that because that would be nice. And also, uh, a big part of this movie is uh, the immigrant song used twice. Ah! Um, you know, used in the beginning and then it used in the scene where Thor finally uses his lightning powers and lets loose. You want to know something funny? Mm. The first time I heard that song was a uh, girl with a dragon tattoo <laughs> which it's such a different version because it's uh, obviously it's a cover of the song and it's much more like dark and sinister but um it's it it adds like you were saying like it adds to, like the kind of the flash gordon-ish-ness of thor ragnarok because like queen being like you know an amazing rock band and basically being responsible for a lot of the music um it's nice to kind of channel that same energy with something like the immigrant song, um, though I was so surprised to hear you were telling me that Mark Mothersbaugh did a cover for Thor Ragnarok of that song, and he and they never got to do it, and that bums me out so much. Yeah, yeah, he had like I get I don't know if it was like a remixed thing or if it was like a straight up cover, but I remember he had like a different version of the immigrant song that he wanted to use for the sequence at the end of the movie where Thor lets loose with his powers and led Ze- uh, it was Led Zeppelin, right? That were, is that the band? Yeah. Or, I'm sorry. I was just a bunch of them, but like, um, like they, they said, no, they, they said no straight up, which I think is hysterical because just look up anything about Led Zeppelin and, um, yeah, <laughs> you're allowed to like them. However, there's, um, there's a lot, like, I, I remember my college professor just is not a huge, not a fan at all. <laughs> like half of their thing is just like all the artists that they were probably sued by and potentially sued by for their music. It, it's actually, it's honestly kind of wild. That just makes it worse. Just to be like, listen, no, you can't do a cover. But and, and like I was saying earlier, the first time I heard that your song, it wasn't even performed by you, Led Zeppelin. So I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying that says something. And admittedly, I whenever I listen to the immigrant song, sometimes I might want to listen to that version more. But you know, um. <laughs> regardless, I think it, it you know, as it is, it works. It works for both scenes just fine. Yes, it works well. Yes, it it's exciting. It's riveting. It's just, I would have loved, uh, dude, I hope it gets leaked someday. Oh, I just hope somebody just posts it, uh, whatever version he had, or if he had, if it was recorded or whatever, and that would be, oh man, that'd be a real, uh, real treasure. Oh, I, I really, Mark Mothersbaugh, I really want to hear it. I, I, again, I got so excited to hear that that was actually like a thing that exists. It's like, it's like hearing about like Prince making all this music that he just never bothered to release and like. He like Prince was always really stingy about his own uh, music anyway, and then uh, obviously, sadly, he passed away not that long ago, a couple years ago, and uh, now all these Prince songs are coming out. So it's like, at some point, I would like him to open, I guess, his vault and maybe or Led Zeppelin to let him, and then we can listen to it. That'd be cool. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say uh, Thor Ragnarok. We both agree, awful lot of fun. Not awful. It, it is a lot of fun. You know, I meant awful yeah. and like, you know... Are you saying this movie's bad? What? <laughs> no, I I would never dare... Even if I thought this was bad, I would never dare say that in front of you. Because I know how much you love this movie. No, no, like I was saying, this movie... if Like I said, if this movie didn't exist, I would not care about probably the majority. Like, I, like Black Panther would come out and be like, okay, at least there's another great MCU movie. Or like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but like... 
if those movies hadn't come out and we let into Endgame, I I wouldn't have given a crap. In all honesty, like like that doesn't not to diminish the quality of Infinity War or Endgame, but like if you don't care about the lead into the great movie, then I guess it doesn't matter in the end in the in the <laughs> in the Endgame all that much. But because right. Thor Ragnarok completely revitalized revitalized completely revitalized um thor and also just brought my love back for the mcu and in the hope that they would do more movies like this and have more directors like taika watiti who are a bit more off kilter and do things their own way or like the the whole history with uh, edgar wright and with ant-man you know a lot of people talk about that um so it's nice that you know for once, it seemed like Marvel was sticking to their guns in making this movie and actually sticking with, like, I guess, the more off-kilter director. Star Wars still needs to learn that. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Ron Howard, but Phil Lord, Chris Miller doing th- Solo probably would have been significantly more exciting. <laughs> I would have been very curious, um, very curious to see what, what they would have brought to the table. For sure. They, I mean, if you, if you just look at, like, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs or, like... Um, you look at uh, like the Twenty One Jump Street movies, which are for movies being based on TV shows are like some of the best movies ever. They're so funny. So, Flash Gordon and Thor Ragnarok. What lessons do you think Hollywood can take away from uh, from from these two specifically? Or, you know, I know you were talking about like Thor. Let me rewind that. Sorry, because you were basically brought up those points <laughs> with Thor Ragnarok. But what what is compelling to you? Uh, with these two movies as a double feature what's the value i think with these two movies i think these are movies that should be should should teach the lesson that it's okay to be weird you know we talk about that a lot but i think this i think with this one it drives it drives that point home really well is that weird ideas like obviously not every weird idea works but weird ideas and risky ideas are worth exploring because if done right and meshed well with other things even if not everything works or even if there's some things that are genuinely bad sometimes it just adds to the charm of everything sometimes it makes the whole thing work a lot better just because like now you're having fun because something is just so overtly ridiculous i'm not saying go so far that it just seems off-putting i'm saying don't be afraid to get a little weird and you don't need to explain yourself because of it. And that's the fun of the cinema. That's the fun of going to the movies and that you get a brand new experience. It's, it's a whole new thing. And these days, especially it it kind of feels like, I mean, you know, we look, we look at like, you know, we've talked about like Mulan and we talked about some of those other movies and, and uh, like at their core, a lot of these movies these days play it safe or they, they bank on, that people's nostalgia for the properties um we don't really get a lot of new things or new exciting things and um, whenever we do it just kind of feels like things are being downplayed like look at pacific rim we've talked about that a lot that's one of those movies that you know it's a big budget movie and the director guillermo del toro just went wild and it's so fun to watch so i guess i guess for me i would say get weird just get weird and have fun with it yeah i say get weird uh, I think it's also important to have really mem- memorable and and likable characters. Like both films are are not in short supply of that kind of stuff. I agree. Be colorful, you know. And sometimes you just got to let a comic book be a comic book, you know. Like if you're trying to make something, I mean, some there's nothing wrong with certain things making them more serious, but sometimes you just gotta 
have a little fun and just uh, just rock and roll. Exactly. And I mean, that's the point of a blockbuster to begin with, or even like a movie like a comic book adaptation. And I know we kind of more or less talked about this in a previous episode, but the point is sometimes it's okay just to be cheeky or corny or have fun with it because it's entertaining. I'm actually glad you brought up Mulan again because like I feel like it goes right up to the line as far as stuff that maybe most American audiences haven't seen, yes. but it doesn't cross that line. Yes, and I'm saying cross it. Cross it. Cross that line. Don't run past it. I mean, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> admittedly, don't, I wouldn't say like speed, but like definitely go over it for sure. Experiment. Check it out. Check out what the other side is like. Anyway, as always, there's a lot of fun recording this with you watching these two movies. Folks, uh, you know, what are some of your favorite uh, comic book movie adaptations? What are some of your favorite MCU movies? You know, are you a fan of these movies? Please let us know on our social media. You know, as always, shout out to Brian from Idaho. We love you, sir. Just being a huge supporter, being a huge, huge fan of the show. And also just being like a personal hero to both of us. Really, he really is just, just a darn hero. But anyway, that was a lot of fun, folks. Tune in next week for our next episode. Have a good night, everyone. Thank, thank you, thank you for turn it down. God, Whew. thank you for listening to this week's episode of Two Dudes One Double Feature. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Music, while incredibly hard to talk over. Uh, wonderfully composed by John and Kenny Armstrong with assistance this week from Alex Hamilton of the band Wasmo and singing by Lorenzo Vincenzo. So thank you for that. And a hint for next week's double feature. Two old-fashioned superhero movies from the same director. See you next week. <laughs>